So it's good to see everybody today. Thanks for making the time to come. Hope everybody had a good week. Uh, I realized looking at the calendar this week that this is the time of year when we normally have spring break, end of February, beginning of March. So how's everybody feeling? Do you, like, do you feel like you need a break at this point? Yeah, kind of feeling that as well. So uh, let's, let's do this. You have my permission to take a couple of days off if you need it. All right, and, and just, just have your profs talk to me. We'll, we'll work it out. Like a, yeah, nothing can go wrong there. Okay, yes, employers work as well. So, yeah. I mentioned last week that I was a journalism minor when I was an undergrad here at NMU. And I figured out pretty early on after taking a, cu- a couple of classes in that program that this is something I, I really enjoyed doing. And it was something that I could eventually become pretty good at. And I hope you've had similar experiences in classes that you've taken. Uh, I realized that I was, I was a decent writer and reporter, but what I excelled at was copy editing, taking somebody else's story and uh, cleaning it up and sometimes you know, rearranging it and making it even better. It's analytical and creative, and it's a good fit for, for how I'm wired. And one of the classes I had was... Uh, It was called Editing and Design, and I did really well in that class. And about halfway through the semester, the professor asked me to stick around after class one day. And that's always a little nerve-wracking, like, what is is this about? What have I forgotten to do? And he said, "You're you're doing really well in this class, and if this is something that you're interested in doing for a living, you're off to a good start. And if it's something that you're interested in, I have some... Uh, some advice for you. And at that point, I was realizing that this is, this is an area that I might want to work in. Uh, and he encouraged me to apply for an internship that was the best copy editing program in the country, like you know, very, very narrowly focused kind of program. And they would take about 20 students from across the country and then place them in some of the best newspapers for an internship that summer. So I decided to do that. I took an editing test. I applied, and, and a couple of months later, I found out that I'd made the cut and was going to be placed at the Star Tribune in Minneapolis, which at the time was the 15th largest newspaper in the country. I've got a picture of it to, uh, to show you what the building... So that's what the building looked like. Uh, there was no snow when I was there in the summer. I think it had just melted. But uh, actually, I just found out that this building no longer exists. They, uh, they sold the building, moved to another place downtown, and where that building once stood is now condos and a park and and stuff like that. So uh, it was a great opportunity to work at a place like that, but it was very intimidating. Um, uh, I think I was the only person in the entire program, the entire internship, who wasn't a journalism major. Uh, Northern didn't have a journalism major at the time, so I was a minor. I'm coming from a small school of 8,000 students, and and the other students in this program, uh, many of them were from big schools like Indiana and Kansas and North Carolina with tens of thousands of students. And I I looked around, and and it seemed to me that everybody else had a whole lot more experience than I did. So my first day uh, in that internship, I walked in, walked up to the fourth floor uh, of the newsroom, and I saw literally hundreds of reporters and editors and photographers and designers spread out in a newsroom the size of a city block. 
So picture a city block, and that's how many cubicles and desks. So that's, this is kind of what the, you know, one, one section of the newsroom looked like. Um, the yellow boxes there, uh, this is one of the last days before they moved to a new newsroom. So the, those uh, yellow crates weren't there normally, but that's kind of what it, what it looked like. So I, I walked in there, and you know, I, was, I was on staff at the, the Northwind student newspaper here, and our, you know, our reporting staff and editors, we, maybe 20 people. So I walk into a newsroom with probably at that time about 300 employees. And that, you know, it was a big operation, very, very intimidating. And that first day I met my bosses, uh, guys named Steve and Paul and my colleagues, and everybody had a ton of experience. And the very first day I was there, the first half of my shift, I sat next to the senior copy editor, Steve, and watched him do his job. So he would, uh, he showed me how the computer system worked, and as he sat there and edited stories and trimmed stories and wrote headlines. He explained what he was doing, explained why he was doing it, explained to me how he was doing it. So then the second half of the shift, I sat next to another editor and watched her do the, the, her job. And it's one thing to read about a job in, in a textbook or hear about it from a professor. It's another thing entirely to watch a skilled professional do it. So that was my first day. Then on my second day, they threw me into the deep end. They gave me a list of stories I had to edit, a list of headlines I had to write, and they said, go for it. Uh, I was uh, sitting next to uh, another editor who was about six feet away. If I had any questions, I could ask her what was going on. Um, and she, she would walk me through the process and offer any correction that was needed. And by the end of the week, I was pretty much on my own. Uh, there was always somebody there that I could talk to if I had any questions, but um, I was learning by doing. And to many of you, of course, the concept of internship or apprenticeship is nothing new. Some of the programs that you're in require a period of time where you put into practice what you've been learning in the classroom. Uh, Chloe is an education major. She's had pre-methods classes, methods classes, and then in the fall, um, she'll be student teaching. So you know, student teachers are paired with veteran teachers, experienced teachers who have mastered these skills. And then you get to jump in and teach under their supervision. Uh, we've had a number of nursing students in Chi Alpha over the years, and they have a ton of clinical hours that are required. I don't know if anybody knows exactly how many hours that are required. That's how many it is. Nobody's bothered to count. Um, so the students get to start to put into practice the skills they're developing in the classroom. So when they graduate and apply for jobs in their fields, um, nursing majors, education majors, and many others already have a foundational level uh, of skills that are required to do the job. And this is a normal part of life, apprenticeship and on-the-job training. When we talk about apprenticeship, we can picture what that looks like. And you know, a, a learner or student or new employee is attached to an experienced person, a master, for a period of time to observe, to learn, to perform under supervision, to be evaluated, and then to be released to do it on their own. This is a normal part of our society. It's a normal part of work life. And I want to shift gears here and say that if we believe what the Bible says, then it should also be a part of the spiritual life of those of us who call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus. 
And this semester, we're focusing on what it means to be a disciple or apprentice of Jesus. Uh, last week, we talked about the invitation to discipleship and, and looked at something that Dallas Willard said, that maybe the word apprentice is a more applicable definition of what we're talking about. And last week, we looked at a couple of instances in, in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus called his first disciples. If you remember that, many of them were professional fishermen. One was a tax collector. And you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, follow me. In, in both of those cases that we looked at in Mark, he said, follow me. And, and these weren't just random words. This phrase, follow me, had a specific meaning in the Jewish religious culture of that day. When Jesus said, follow me, he was formally inviting them. He was, he was issuing a formal invitation to them to, into a rabbi-disciple relationship, into a teacher-student relationship. They understood that that's what those words meant, follow me. He was saying, come, attach yourself to me, be with me, learn from me how to live your life. He was inviting them into an apprenticeship. So that was Mark chapter one, Mark chapter two. Today, I wanna look at Mark chapter three to see what Jesus does next. And by this point in his life and ministry, he's, he's well known in the area. He's known as a wise and engaging teacher. He's known as a healer even at this point. So in Mark chapter three, uh, starting in verse 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And then verse 16, Mark lists the 12 apostles that he called to himself. Notice that Jesus called these 12 to himself for two reasons. One, that they might be with him. And then two, after a period of time, that he might send them out as his representatives or ambassadors. So the first job was to be with him. And then we see this happen throughout the Gospels. If, you, if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the, the pattern repeats itself over and over again. We see the disciples right there with Jesus. When Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding in Cana, his very first miracle, his disciples are with him. When he meets and talks with the Samaritan woman, the disciples are right there watching and learning. Uh, later, when, when he tells the story of the good Samaritan, his disciples are right there listening. When he feeds the 5,000, and then later feeds another large group of uh, at least 4,000, his disciples are right there. When he walks on water, his disciples are with him. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, his disciples are there watching and learning with him. When he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey to the cheers of the crowd. His disciples are right there. They're, they're always with him, watching and learning. The public ministry of Jesus lasted about three years, and these disciples were with him every waking moment for at least two of these years. So they saw all the big stuff that I just mentioned, but they also saw the mundane moments that the gospel writers didn't bother to record. So we can fill in the blank, you know, fill in the blanks with the rest of life. Uh, we, we don't see the long walks from one village to the other. So we don't hear a lot of the conversations that happened, but the disciples were there. We don't see a lot of meal times, but the disciples were there. We don't see 
We don't hear the inside jokes. We don't hear the personal stories, but that's all taking place. And the message from these big moments to the the mundane moments that aren't recorded, the message is the same. Jesus' disciples learned from him just like any apprentice learns from any master by being with him. That was their number one job, to be with him. And if we accept the invitation of Jesus to be his disciples, then we must commit to spending time with him as well. One of the guides on our journey of discipleship, a person we mentioned last week as well, is Dallas Willard, who was an author and philosopher at USC. And I highly recommend his book, The Divine Conspiracy. And in that book, he writes this. If I am to be someone's apprentice, there is one absolutely essential condition. I must be with that person. So there's one condition. I must be with that person. This is true of the student-teacher relationship in all generality, and it is precisely what it meant to follow Jesus when he was here in human form. To follow him meant, in the first place, to be with him. So Willard's quotation leads me, at least, to a question. He made the reference to Jesus, quote, when he was here in human form. And Jesus is no longer here in human form. So the question becomes, if he's no longer here, how can we be with him? These these 12 got to literally walk with him across Palestine. So how, how can we be with him? And the answer is found in John chapter 14, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, pay attention to that word advocate, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is telling his disciples here that he is going away. He's going to the Father in heaven but that when he does leave, he will send the Holy Spirit in his place. And this section that we just read refers to the Holy Spirit as the advocate, which is a translation of the Greek word paraclete. So the the New Testament was originally written in Greek, Greek, and that word that this translator uses as as advocate is, is paraclete. But Dallas Willard says a better translation than advocate is strengthener. He's saying that the spirit in us, the spirit in our lives, functions as a strengthener. And Jesus promised that this spirit, this strengthener, will live within those who decide to be apprentices of Jesus. So in in fact, a couple of chapters after this in John 16, Jesus says, it will be better for you if I go, because then the strengthener can come. And when the Spirit does come, he will lead us into all truth, just as Jesus said here in John 14. So this is how Jesus continues to teach his apprentices, even when he's not here in human form. It's through the Spirit who leads us into all truth. So this means that when we talk about spending time with Jesus, when we talk about being with Jesus, we're actually in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not really with Jesus, but we're communicating with Jesus through the Spirit. 
who enables us to recognize the truth in scripture, who enables us to have that prayer conversation, and who enables us to sense his presence when we worship. So what does this mean practically? So how, how do we apply this truth to our everyday lives? And I want to propose three simple steps. Number one, start somewhere. Start somewhere. I, I don't want this to be taken as a, as a criticism if you haven't uh, had a, a regular practice of being in the presence of Jesus. But start somewhere. So this is the season of life to begin the habits that will carry you through a lifetime of discipleship and apprenticeship with Jesus. Now is the time to start these habits. From this point on, life only gets busier. You, you might not want to hear that, but you know, many of you will, will get married and have kids and have full-time jobs and life gets busier. So now is the time to establish these habits. The building blocks of our time with Jesus are prayer and Bible study. When I, when I talk about Bible study, I'm, I'm talking about um, memorizing scripture, uh, reading scripture to get the full picture of who God is, uh, meditating on scripture, uh, reading the gospels to really see the life of Jesus. And we'll talk about that as we go on this semester. I'm reading a book right now that, that breaks down 12 different spiritual practices. And you know, they include fasting and worship and solitude and confession, but all of these are built on prayer and, and Bible reading. That's the foundation that everything else is built on. So when I, stay, when I say start somewhere, that's, that's where we start with prayer and Bible reading. So start somewhere, even if it's a one-minute prayer every day when you wake up, even if it's five minutes reading a chapter in the New Testament. Start somewhere. And we will talk specifically about prayer and Bible study later on in this, uh, this semester as we talk about the, the practices of disciples. So number one, start somewhere. Number two, make a plan. Make a plan. We've been using the word disciple this week and last week. And I want to introduce a similar word that comes from the same root. That word is discipline. See the similarity? Disciple and discipline. Disciple, we've been using it as a noun that means learner or apprentice. And then discipline is a noun that means instruction or training. They're, they're linked. And I want to propose, based on personal experience, based on the lives I've observed in others, based on what I read in scripture, I want to propose that it's impossible to be a disciple without discipline. It's impossible to be a disciple without discipline. If being a disciple or apprentice of Jesus requires that we spend time with him, and I believe it does, then we need to develop the discipline of being with him because this won't happen without a plan. It's not going to happen spontaneously and accidentally. So how do you personally want to go about being with Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now about putting this into place? And we'll address this plan 
address the idea of making a plan during our discussion time in, in a few minutes. So that was number two. We said, start somewhere, make a plan. Number three, expect Jesus to teach you. Expect Jesus to teach you. When you begin an apprenticeship as a student teacher or as a student nurse or as a copy editing intern, you have an expectation that you will learn from the experienced individuals who are charged with your instruction. That's, that's baked into the process, that expectation that you'll learn. So when we begin as apprentices of Rabbi Jesus, we need to start with an expectation that we will learn from him, that when we commit to spend time with him every day, he will teach us little by little how to live our lives as he would live them if he were in our place. So when you pray, thank him in advance for teaching you and leading you. When you read a chapter in the Bible, ask him to make the words come alive to you. Ask him and expect him to use those very words to transform you from the inside out. And he will answer that prayer. So let's pray and then we'll break up into a couple of discussion groups and and then talk about some of these issues for, for about 15 minutes or so. Heavenly Father, we worship you for who you are. You are the giver of all life. You're the maker of heaven and earth. And yet you care about us as individuals. You love each one of us and desire to be in relationship with us as individuals. So we thank you for making a way for us through Jesus to be adopted as your sons and daughters. And thank you for the invitation to be disciples of Jesus. We ask that you transform us into the people you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Want to do guys and ladies again? Looks like we have even an even split. Let's, all right, let's do that. Uh, we have... A few questions. So just until, until the top of the hour. Um, yeah, just, just a few questions to work through. Um, again, if you're... Answer whatever you feel comfortable answering. Don't feel pressured to, to respond in any way. Number one, what practices have been helpful to you in spending time with Jesus? So this is a time for, for those of us who have developed some... Um, some practice of being with Jesus to share what's worked for us. Do you need help getting started? So we said step number one was to start somewhere. Do you need help getting started? We'll be able to talk about that. Do you need help making a plan? Uh, what's the hardest aspect of developing a, developing a routine? What are, what are some of the roadblocks that, that prevent us from moving forward? And then very simply at the end, how can we pray for you this week? And then we will uh, we'll wrap up from there. All right. Thank you.